The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast Midweek Edition, post-New Year's edition. It's 2013. I'm your host, Ralph Marlboro. As always, we're joined by Andrew Juge of the Saints Nation. Uh, Andrew, uh, we thought the Saints were going to get to 8-8, eight and eight, and with Sean Payton signing the extension, everything pointed that way, but we forgot that it's, the Saints indeed had the worst defense in NFL history, and they can ruin any Sunday afternoon, um, and they did. They gave up 44 points to Cam Newton and the Panthers and lost 44-38. And Andrew, I think you might have mentioned it in first. So the score wasn't as indicative as how the defense played. No, the defense gave up 530 yards of offense, gave up 44 points, and only one of those touchdowns was really set up because of uh, defense or special teams with the punt return. The rest of them were long-ass drives, converting third downs all over the place. Um, so they're done. They're 7-9. and nine. So my question to you is, Andrew, this defense, I think we all agree, it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be top doesn't have to be top 10. Hell, it doesn't even have to be top 15. You might even argue, I argue, it doesn't even need to be top 20. What's more likely to happen to get the Saints to number 20 in the rankings in 2013 for defense? Is it fire Spagnola and tear the whole thing down, start it over, go 3-4, bring in six new stars, just blow it up, or keep Spagnola? and say we're going to get a couple new starters in free agency, we're going to hope we hit a home run with Sam Montgomery or Barkevius Mingo from LSU, and we're going to hope that gets us to 20. What scenario in your mind is more likely to get the Saints to a ranking on defense that they can win a Super Bowl? Well, I, I think um, you know, we were talking before we started this podcast, and you made a good point that um, nothing's off the table. And I think it's important to no, no proposal of a solution at this point is a bad idea because it's early in the offseason. And we are talking about the team that gave up the most yards in a 16-game season. 7K, baby. 7K. They were, they're the first team in history to break 7,000 yards yielded. And um, so from that standpoint, I don't think anything they do in this offseason could possibly make them worse. I mean, I like you say, if, if they fire Spagnola, bring in a new coach, install a 3-4, and gut their entire roster defensively and literally bring in, you know, six to seven new starters, uh, you know, young players, inexperienced players, players learning a new scheme, and even then, I'm not sure they yield 7,000 yards. Um, and um, so I, I don't think there's anything that's off the table realistically, um, I still think they've got some pieces. I still think Bunkley is a good run stuffer. I think Akeem Hicks is, has starter potential. Uh, I like Cam Jordan. Um, you know, Curtis Lawson is, is a keeper at middle linebacker. Jerry's still out on Hawthorne. You know, he could be okay. Um, we know Jabari Greer is good. Um, so, you but know, might be declining and getting promise. older. So, 
Yeah, but uh, there's at least I mean I, I named at least five players, five yeah. guys there that, that that are that are decent. So there's there's some stuff that I don't hate about the defense, um, but I just think realistically, um, you know, you add maybe one more decent player um, that, that that's in the quality of a Hawthorne or maybe a Jabari Greer. You, you have one more decent player, and you hope you hit Yahtzee with that 15 pick. I think that's really, um, you know, the Saints and. And, and really, I mean, I was looking back at the drafts that they've had. They haven't had a superstar draft pick defensively since Mark Fields, or, or and that's borderline. Um, or maybe I would Joe say that's Johnson. a no, but we, you know, I mean, okay, so Mark, Mark Fields went no to Mark Fields, and Joe Johnson was 94. And then before that, they hadn't drafted an elite guy since 89, which was Wayne Martin, and 86, which was Pat Swilling. So we're literally talking – over over 20 years in some cases, um, and you know if, so they're if you due. look at the they're due, they're due, to, they're, due. they're due. Yeah, so you know I think with this 15th pick, I mean I think we all agree it's got to be defense, and um, it's to me it's got to be a guy they can plug in and they can make a difference from minute one, kind of like Von Miller did. Well, here's the thing, and you know um, I worry sometimes, you know. Um, I agree with uh, Dominic Dangry, who that he's he's been saying. Look, if they if they can fix the pass rush, that it'll it'll help everything. And I agree with that. But how much, Andrew, can let's say the Saints move up? They would move up, or Sam Montgomery falls to them, or who or whoever. Uh, the guy, I can't think of land uh land the, the the linebacker from Georgia, I can't think of his name right now, but let's say they pick oh, Jarvis Jones. Jarvis Jones. And he's a home yeah. run. I'm talking I'm talking fifteen sacks as a rookie. I'm talking rookie of the year is an absolute home run. How much in your opinion, because you watch the film, how much does that transform the defense? I think it's significant. And um Ralph, Ralph, you can vouch for me. I'm not permitted to um, to, to give names, but uh, I talked to an NFL. I, I, I talked to an NFL player on a regular basis that um, plays for a team that, that is not the New Orleans Saints, um, but he um, he played against the Saints this year. And I asked him off the record um, this past weekend um, why the Saints um, are so bad defensively, in his opinion you know, watching, preparing for, you know, when he played them this season and why and what they need to fix it. And his opinion was that it was easy to game plan against the Saints because they did not have a one elite player. They didn't have a difference maker um, that made you account for where that one person was on the field at all times. Um, You know, Green Bay has that and Clay Matthews Jr., um, you know, Denver, probably has two of them with Von Miller, you know, but Von Miller being one of them. Um, but, you know, you, you look, you know, Dwight Freeney for the Colts in the past, John Abraham in the past for the Falcons, um, you know, and Deion Sanders in his prime for the Cowboys 49ers. So the Saints don't have anyone that resembles that. And I, I think, you know, if you can name maybe 15 to 20 NFL teams that have that. You know, the Steelers have Cole Malou. I mean, you go up and down the rosters and you can name one guy um, that you really have to account for, and he felt like there really that really didn't exist for the Saints. And I, I kind of agreed with him. I mean, I think Curtis Lofton is the best player on the defense, and I think he's a good tackler. He's a very solid football player, 
but I don't think he's a playmaker in the sense that um, you account for where he is on the field because um, you risk turnovers or you risk yeah. um, a disastrous play if you don't account for him. You know, I, I yeah. think he's a guy that runs sideline to sideline and tackles well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, his point was that the Saints were really missing that one that one difference maker, and and uh, he was clear with me. And, and you know, there are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. I want to be clear with everyone listening. That's not to say that if the Saints land that one person, all of a sudden, they're, I'm not saying they're top 10 defense. That doesn't transform everything, but it does make everyone around that one player a little bit better and it makes it makes things easier for the guys around him and so when you have that player i mean a perfect example look how the hornets are playing with eric gordon right now um they're they're looking like they might beat the atlanta hawks tonight we're a good team hornets have been horrible all year and they're they're about to go two and zero with eric gordon so you know one one elite player can make that difference um so uh, and like I said, I think that's a more realistic scenario. Now, it's, it's, it's still not realistic. I, I don't know that it's, I would bet on it, but I just think um, if you're asking me what's, what's, what do they have a better shot at, landing a guy that's just going to make a difference on the field um, or landing six guys that are pretty decent and re-gutting everything, um, I think the former has a better shot. And, um, look, I think the main takeaway from all of this is we look at the Saints in the, in the entire Sean Payton era. 2009 was the one time they won a Super Bowl. It was also the one time they had what I consider an elite defensive difference maker, and that was Darren Sharper. And, yes, they brought him back the following year, but he was a shell of his former self after microfracture surgery. So um, you look at when, the only time the Saints have won a Super Bowl it was the one time they had that player on the field that offenses had to game plan and account for on every play. Yeah, I mean, and look, you know, I know it gets further and further away, and you're talking about basically a generation of Saints fans now. But look, when I was a ke- when I was a teen when I was a teenager, and, and you had the Dome Patrol, and even even before the two years they went to the playoffs, when you were talking 19, basically the glory years of it was ninety, ninety one, and ninety two. I mean, 
when the Saints had a third down and they were take a, an example when they had Carolina backed up in the end zone on third third and eleven, if that was nineteen ninety one, my eyes as a fan even then would focus not on the ball. I would look at Ricky Jackson because I would think Andrew. I, I would think, oh, it's third and long. It's sack time for Ricky Jackson. Yes. I don't do that anymore with this defense. I don't focus on. I don't focus on one guy. I mean, I'll do it occasionally. Eh, Cam Jordan or Akeem Nix just for inches. But on big third downs, I don't go. Hmm. I'm looking at. I'm looking at Cam Jordan to see if they double him to see if he whips his guy. They just. They don't have that guy, and I think, you know. They they. I think it could help him a lot, but I'm of the opinion, Andrew, that this defense is so wretched with talent that I think even if they had a, even if they hit a home run, I don't think it bumps them up that much if they if they stay put. They've got to do something different. They, I, I'm not opposed I, to them. I think I think the pass rush has been bad, but Ralph, I really think the the defensive backfield play has been horrific. Um, and I think the worst two games of the year, um, defensively, you could argue, I mean, the Giants, you know, obviously the, the kickoff returns really affected how badly they played. But um, for me, the worst games were really the first game and the last game, yeah. um, which, funny enough, were the two games I attended this year. Um, <laughs> so, you know, obviously I, I played some – I had some great – I picked some great ones, and, and obviously the Saints had great luck with me in the, in the crowd. But uh, – so anyway, the, the the Redskins and the Cowboys, and uh, I'm sorry, and the Panthers, and um, no coincidence in my mind, Ralph, that Jabari Greer was missing from both of those games. Um, so I just think that depth at corner um, is really poor. Um, but so I, I think that's where you point the finger at for me. Yes, the pass rush was poor, and that put pressure on them. Um, but week one, Corey White was toasted repeatedly over and over, and he really struggled. And so... Um, I think you look at depth and you say, wow, um, you know, the, the Saints were really weak at that position. Um, on Sunday, and, and this was perhaps the, the most um, disappointing and, and worrisome aspect for me, was that you've got um, you've got Albert Mack starting and you've got Johnny Patrick as your nickel. And despite that, Cam Newton kept going after Patrick Robinson. So you've got your number one corner, and then, you know, Corey White started the year as the number three. So you're missing your number two and your number three, and you've got your number four starting and your number five at nickel. And instead of going after those guys, Cam Newton's going after your number one more frequently. Um, and that, that, that to me is a major warning sign, and it points to how much Patrick Robinson has struggled this year. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think as much as, you know, the difference maker at, at linebacker, I'm sorry, at pass rush, um, needs to be the 15th pick, um, they need to figure out a way to get a starting corner in there, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with uh, the Johnny Patrick, I don't know if he's going to be on an NFL roster next year. I mean, let's just be, let's just be honest. Uh, I agree. I think Corey White could be a player. I, I like the way he came on. Um, but, like you said, this this the funny thing was, Joe Vitt was like, I think the corners came on, and they asked Jabari Greer, and Jabari Greer was like, no, we didn't. We were terrible. 
and uh, so that was a that was an interesting sort of quandary by the Saints. Uh, but maybe Joe Vitt was just trying to say something nice in the in the uh, final press conference of the year. Um, you know, and, and as you you mentioned the secondary, you mentioned it in your grades about um, Caduce how he's not sort of as a last line of defense guy like Malcolm Jenkins. He, he he's maybe not might not be as athletic. So where Malcolm Jenkins can make a tackle and sort of save a touchdown and be a better last line of defense. But Caduce has much better ball skills. So sort of what do you want in your safety? Um, I want Caduce. I want, I want ball skills. Um, That's, that's where I am. So. Well, I think there's two types of players, Ralph. There's two types of players in the NFL. Well, once you get to the NFL, I think you have to have a little bit of screw loose, but um, (laughs) you know, I, I, Prior to that point, I mean, you, you know, you're talking Pop Warner. You've got two types of football players, and every once in a while, uh, one will come along that has both, and those are the ones that end up being really gifted. Um, but I think you've got your players that are cerebral, that are football players, that are that um, that play football because they love the, the, the catching and the throwing and and the X's and O's, and, and you know they have a cerebral component, but also just they have fun playing football. And then you've got your nut jobs that just love the violence, that love the contact. And there's a place for both of those types of people in the game, both at the, at the rudimentary level and as you get further down the line to, you know, the, the, the professional level. But so when you break it down like that, I think Caduce is more like the, the, the previous. You know, he plays football yeah. because he's a – um, he's a ball hawk. He's a guy that has good ball skills that can recognize and anticipate well when the ball's in the air and that sort of thing. Um, and I think Malcolm Jenkins is, is a, is a wood layer. I mean, he's a guy that will, um, see you coming across the middle and he likes the contact and he's going to try to knock your head off and that's intimidating and, and he tackles well and he hits big. Um, but he's not, he's not a, he's not a playmaker. You know, he's not a, he's not a guy that plays well with the ball in the air. And so, um, yeah, like I said, you have to pick between those two, I think, right now, um, where they are in their development. I think Caduce's ceiling's a little bit higher because I think, you know, he, he hasn't had much experience. I think he can get better at taking better angles and um, becoming a better tackler. I mean, part of that's technique and part of it's experience. Um, but what I definitely saw in those big runs from um, D'Angelo Williams was um, he just was slow to react to those runs and, and took bad angles. And once he got behind him, he wasn't fast enough to, to catch him. Um, I think that's something where on, on a couple of those big runs, um, you know, Malcolm Jenkins takes good angles. Um, and that, that, that's the one thing, you know, as much as he struggled this year, that's something he does well um, as a last line of defense and as a tackler. And I wonder if he had been in that game, if he maybe stopped those runs, um, you know, 10, 20 yards short of the end zone instead of them being touchdowns. Um, but the difference is, and you, you saw the flip side, is Caduce was terrific um, breaking up passes, um, reading the quarterback, um, closing quickly on the ball when it was in the air. That stuff Malcolm Jenkins doesn't do well. Um, so, yeah, getting back to your original point, that's kind of what the coaching staff has to decide. You know, wh- which one in, in this phase of their development, um, which player that one has a more of a leaning towards good pass defense, one is kind of more of a good run stopper as a free safety, um, which style do you prefer more? Uh, and I'm with you. I, I Personally, I think what I've seen from Yusef Abdul-Kadus, I'm far from 
um, coming to the point where I feel like he is a, he's a player that's arrived far from it. But I like what I saw more from him this year than Malcolm Jenkins. And so I, I kind of think I want him as my starter next year. Yeah. I mean, here's the question is, is it, are, 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 are taking the correct angles on plays. Is that more, uh, is that more a case of you can teach that, or is that more of a case of just sort of instinct, sort of like a running back? They either see the hole or they don't, and they you can't really teach it. It's all sort of, it's all sort of instinct and just uh, understanding it. I, I think you can perfect it. I think you can get better at it. Um, so there's definitely a teaching component that, that can make it make him improve. I don't think Issa Abdul Kudus will ever be as good of a physical, hard hitting safety as Malcolm Jenkins is now. So I, I don't, you know, I think there's some natural component. Just like I don't think Malcolm Jenkins will ever be the ball hawk that Issa yeah. Abdul Kudus is now. And I'm not, I'm not saying Issa Abdul Kudus is Darren Sharper from, from far from it, but I, I think. You know, we've seen Malcolm Jenkins back there for three years now, and I, I think we all get it at this point. Um, he, he's just not a guy that, that anticipates and, and reads quarterbacks that well. Yeah, I mean, it'll, that that'll be interesting. I don't think they I don't think they'll move. I don't think they'll move where they'll cut Malcolm Jenkins. I think I think, but I think they'll definitely bring bring him back and sort of let him let him fight it out. Um, you know, and and there's no. I mean, remember, no, Malcolm Jenkins was a corner to start. Um, yeah. You know, and, and at some point, do you come to the conclusion that he can't cut it as a um, as a safety, and you move him back to nickel? Now, I don't think he's a starting corner quality, um, but I do like him in nickel because that brings him closer to the line of scrimmage, where I think he's best. And yeah. uh, I still think he can cover in the slot. The problem with the problem with Malcolm Jenkins is. The, bot- the bottom line is the reason why he was there when the Saints were able to pick him is because he didn't run fast enough at the combine to make teams think he could be a starting corner. But like you say, if you put him at nickel, maybe you can, maybe you can get away with it. But I, I and you know, I don't necessarily think Andrew at 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 safety that uh, it's a full, it's sort of a. Uh, automatic that the Saints are going to say we need a free safety and we need a strong, you know, we need a guy that can cover the pass and one guy that can cover the run and sort of play Harper and Jenkins like they did in tandem. You know, it wouldn't be beyond me to, to for them to say, hey, you know what, we're going to go with uh, two more pass-oriented safeties and maybe they're playing Caduce and Bush or Caduce and Jenkins in tandem and Roman Harper sent on his way uh, in the off season, that's not a bad thought. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind them testing that out. But uh, let's look at um, also. You know, Cedric Ellis. You you watch all these tapes, and sometimes I feel bad for you. Um, what hmm. the hell happened to him? He just he went from being really good and feeling like he, he played in '09 and he was really coming on to total regression and just he's a guy and he's going to leave and people are going to be like, eh, whatever. I mean, it was a contract year for him. I mean, if ever you were going to play fantastic, this would have been his year to do so. Yeah, the crazy thing about him is he hasn't really seen double teams. You know, he hasn't really 
it's not like teams have focused on him. Um, but, you know, I definitely blame the demise of his defense as much on him as anything. I mean, the Saints have invested in him heavily. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, you know, you, you look at the guys that are paid the highest on defense, it's Will Smith, Ellis, and Vilma. You know, those three are, are the guys that the Saints have invested their money in. And those are arguably the biggest disappointments, those three right there. So, um, you know, based on that, uh, the Saints have just gotten to a point where um, the players they put their money in aren't producing. Um, and then behind them, it's probably Harper and, and Greer. And Greer is the only one who I would say is even at a marginal season of those five. Um, so, um, you know, they need to cut the dead weight. I mean, that's a lot of dead weight, um, you know, in terms of money that they're paying um, to those guys and they need to replace them with, um, you know, I mean, look, Akeem, Akeem Hicks is cheap labor. And he's, to me, performing better than Ellis is right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have no idea. I have no idea what happened to Ellis. Uh, I mean, it, he used to beat guys off the ball. He used to line up one on one and provide immense amounts of pressure um, on the interior. And I don't know if he just has lost a step, or if he's injured, or if he's just lost his passion. Um, but um, he is not playing anywhere close to what he was like in his first three years. And and I mean, sometimes that happens. I mean, Stinch, you look at John Stinchcomb, he went from a pro bowler to retired um, yeah. in about a New York minute. Um, so it happens. You know, you never know when guys, the light just comes off. And um, I kind of feel like that's the case for Ellis. I mean, I'm sure he'll end up playing for someone next year, um, but I definitely think he's past his prime. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing about him is, and, and you know, people like to say on the draft, they read, oh, yeah, that guy's a bust or – and, and I I hesitate to call Ellis that, but to me, Andrew, when you move up from 11 to number 7 in the draft, and that was before the rookie wage scale, so they paid him a ton of money because he was a 7th yeah. pick. When you pick a defensive tackle, number 7, you're expecting him to be, if not a first-team All-Pro, a perennial Pro Bowl, you're expecting him five years later to say, who's the best guy on your defense? It's Cedric Ellis. And to me, he's been closer to a bust than a success. Yeah, I mean, I hesitate to call him a bust just because his first three years really were that good. Um, but it, but it's strange. Um, you really felt like he, he was yeah. on the verge, on the cusp of, of really becoming a perennial pro bowler after that third year. You're like, man, he's he's been yeah. good. He's only getting better. And, um, you know, the, the whole... Rogers, um, Abreu Franklin experiment did something weird to him. Um, I really felt like he was getting less snaps, and um, I, it was strange. I just felt like when those guys were um, playing over him, and he, he was just you know more more of a rotation than a full time starter. Um, I, I just don't feel like he maybe he's a guy that needs to play more and get in the rhythm. Um, but you know, and, and Spagnuolo's defense was definitely situational as well, like Greg Williams. Um, but, uh, you know, the situational playing just didn't work for him. Yeah, and but the thing is, I mean, you got to be a pro and you got to shake it off a bit. I mean, this was a this was a huge. I mean, this was a huge year for him, Andrew. If he would have gone out and got six six sacks and 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 you know, every week you'd have been giving him a B. I mean, you're not the only person watching tape, obviously, and NFL personnel departments are doing it too. I mean, he could have made himself $50 million. 
and got yeah. twenty million well, that's, twenty that's million kind of, that's twenty million guarantees. That's the unfair thing of, of expectations, Ralph. I mean, if you look at a guy like Junior Gallette, you would say that okay, he's had maybe about a similar year um, to Cedric Ellis. You know, he's maybe had a slightly better year overall this season, but. We all love Junior Gillette because he was undrafted and the expectations are low and he, has, he doesn't get paid much. Um, so we want to keep him around. But the, the flip side is with Ellis, he makes a ton of money. He was the seventh overall pick. And so we're all clamoring for him to have a Pro Bowl season. Well, instead he turns in a, a season that's just mediocre. You know, it's, it's kind of fine. It's, it's like what Junior Gillette gave us. Um, but the difference is, He's getting paid a lot more, and he was drafted a lot higher. Um, so I think he's a little bit of a victim of his own success and the, the expectations. I mean, you know, so I, you know, I, I think that that's kind of, um, in some ways, unfair to him, maybe. But uh, uh, the bottom line is, he shouldn't be making what he's making right now. You know, he hasn't he hasn't lived up to the pay that he's getting. And for that reason, you know, I, I, I really think he's the type of guy, you know, he should be making a million, two million a year. And if we were giving him that, I'd be fine with him being a situational player. Um, yeah. But it's just, you know, we're obviously the answer is paying him too much. Do you think he'll be back with the Saints at a significant, significant discount, or do they move on? I can't imagine Cedric Ellis, um, I can't imagine him playing it less. Um, I think he views himself as as a guy that I know I know for a fact that in the Greg Williams defense um, he felt like he his strengths weren't being utilized um, and he felt like he was a victim of a scheme that didn't work to his strengths. Um, so um, I have no idea how he feels about Spagnuolo or how things went this year, yeah. um, but I, I just feel like he's going to be one of those players that goes on the market kind of like Lofton and some of those guys last year where they, they, they think they're going to get a huge payday. And once the market settles, maybe he realizes, Oh, well, I'd rather come in the Saints back to the Saints for a million and a half a year um, for two years, you know, let's say a two year, $3.5 million deal. I'd rather do that than sign on a one year, $2 million deal with the Patriots. Um, so um, I could see him maybe doing that, but, you know, I, I just think he, he's going to expect to go out there and, and make some silly money. And um, there, there's some pretty stupid teams out there. Uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if a bad team threw some good money at him. Um, he is he is considered a high character player, um, and he's considered a serious guy. Um, so, and I know he's got a lot of respect around the league. He's a good dude. So um, you know, from that standpoint, he, he may he may attract some offers. I mean, Fujita certainly got way more than he was worth. Well, yeah, but I mean, Fujita got the um, we want a high character, maybe average to above average player who has the quote unquote championship uh, experience and know how and was a captain on a Super Bowl team. I mean, he got he got paid for that by Mangini, which but this is a good segue, Andrew, because we're you know the Saints do have some free agents, um, and me and you have sort of been arguing on the podcast before and off off-air and all that, about the Saints' biggest one, Jermon Bushrod. Um, Bushrod, I waffle back and forth, me and you, you know I've changed my mind. I can't figure out if he's going to get big money. Part of me thinks no, because in 2009, he was coming off uh, of 
you know, um, the Saints had won the Super Bowl and he was the tackle. And, you know, teams are desperate for left tackles. And he he, he signed a two-year deal with the Saints. So if, he, if they didn't want him then, he hasn't really improved that much from then. But then that was the lockout year, so maybe teams weren't, weren't – were, it was a weird year, so teams didn't have as much to, time to evaluate or whatever. But um, I don't know. It, you, you, could, you could lay out any scenario for Bushrod, Andrew. You could say Jacksonville gives him five years, $50 million, it's $18 million guaranteed. Now I'd go, okay. Or you could say the Saints, you know, the Saints re-sign him for three years at $21 million, and it's $8 million guaranteed. I, I have no idea what kind of contract he's going to get. Well, I think what will end up happening, I, I do think the Saints want him back, Ralph, because they can't spend their 15th pick on a left tackle. And, um, you know, obviously they're going to have to draft. It'd be, it'd be nice to have that second-round pick back um, because, you know, they're probably going to need to use that on a left tackle if this push rod leaves. Um, but I, I think the situation will be a lot like um, Nick's. You know, I think it'll be less money than Nick's, obviously, a lot less money. Um, but I think the Saints are prepared to let him test the market, uh, much like they're prepared to let Nick's do so. And they're going to say, here's what we're willing to offer you. Here is what, you know, with it. Loomis will um, hit the books. He will he will clean up as much of the cap as he can in order to offer him a fair deal. And he'll say, this is what I'm willing to give you. Um, if you want it, great. If you don't, we'll offer this money to the next best tackle. Um, in free agency. I, I, I believe that's what the Saints will do. And um, so I, I think based on that, you know, I think Bushrod wants to come back. I think he'll take it. Um, and unless he gets a knock-your-socks-off offer like the Bucks did with Nick, um, then I think he's coming back at whatever the Saints offer him. But um, I, I don't think he's done anything in the last two years to change anyone's opinion of him um, in the NFL. In fact, he's gotten two years older, so... Um, I, I would be surprised if he got a huge offer, um, like five years, fifty million. But if he does, the Saints are definitely not going to match it, and um, they'll be fine letting him go um, because there's no way um, they're going to pay him that kind of money. Yeah, I mean the thing is, everybody knew Knicks was going to get paid, and yeah. the Saints basically offered him the Ben Grubbs deal, which was a really nice deal. I mean they they moved fast, and we were like, damn, they paid Grubbs a lot of money. They were serious mm-hmm. about they 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 don't fool around at guard, um, but uh, you know it, it's an interesting thing with him is I'm not I don't see, I don't see teams giving him big money because you know in free agency once it comes around we'll see people's columns but even last year during the season people were like Carl Nix is going to be one of the top I mean he when everybody listed their top. 10 free agents. I mean, Carl Nix was in the top five. And, um, you know, if it wouldn't have been Tampa giving him the money, it would have been somebody else. So um, we'll see it. But like you said, it only takes one, it only takes one stupid team or not necessarily, maybe stupid's the wrong word, Andrew, but, but desperate. desperate. Um, yeah. um, so if, if I had to say, Andrew, let's put a $5 bet on it. Uh, Bushrod with the Saints or not in 2013? I think he's coming back. I'll say $5 he comes back. <laughs> I think what he said in the media, um, I mean, yeah, you know, obviously, like uh, like Nick's, I just, 
if he if he if, if he, we're talking about fifteen million dollars, he's going to leave. I mean, he's not stupid, you know. And I think if if there's just if it's a no brainer financially, um, you know, that someone's just offering him way more money, then he'll leave. But if it's close, you know, if we're one to two million dollars off, um, I think he gets the Saints a hometown discount. Um, and based on what he said in the media this week, um, it sounds to me like I know he just had a baby. He settled in New Orleans. Uh, I have every reason to believe he wants to come back. And I don't think the Saints want to get in a position where they're trying to fill left back. Like, I think I, I think the Saints want to maintain offensively. You know, I, I, I really think this offseason is about fixing the defense. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to get to a point where you're left with the whole left tackle. So I think he comes back. Well, let's hope, let's hope so. So, Sean Payton's back. He, he signed the contract extension. Um, the only, you know, I don't have many sources left with the Saints, but the one for the dude was like, "Look, he's not leaving. Nobody in the building is thinking he's leaving." And, it, and that's the way it. That's the way it went. Um, he's he's back. Um, so, Andrew, if they don't. It, it let him come back before the Super Bowl, which I don't think they will. What happens if the Saints, if somebody says, you know, they're going to have, what, eight new coaches? What if they say, hey, Andy Reid, if he gets the job in Arizona, what if he says to Spagnola, hey, Steve, come to Arizona, you know? And Steve Spagnola says, hey, I want to go to Arizona. What the hell do the Saints do? And basically... That means Goodell's suspension will kind of fuck the Saints for two years because they'll have positions to fill um, and they won't have a coach in the building to do it. So what will, what do you think the Saints will do? Will they just lock down? Do they lock down the coaches um, and say you can't leave because they can't have contact with Sean Payton to say, hey – Spagnola wants to go. Do you want him to go, and we'll just replace him? Do you want to re- the special teams guy wants to go? Do you want to fire him? And we, are you thinking of firing him so he can go get another job and we can fill it? You know, it could really fuck the Saints over, kind of, for two years. What do you think? How do you think the off season is going to play out as far as the Saints coaching staff? I'm concerned about it. Um, you know, and I, I think there was at least uh, a nugget that was thrown out there that Goodell would be open to Sean Payton coming back after the season ended, um, but before the Super Bowl was over. Um, so if he were to come back at some point in the playoffs, that would be monumental. Um, and I really, I really do agree. And, you know, the scenarios you laid out make it important for Sean Payton to be back before the end of the Super Bowl. Um, now, is it the end of the world? You know, probably not. But, um, you know, my nightmare scenario is, is Pete Carmichael. Um, gets a job and goes elsewhere. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, or, or you know Spagnola too. But um, you know, it, it, especially if Pete Carmichael leaves, I mean, I, I think that we, we've seen now with Williams and Spagnola, um, the Saints' model is look, offense is Sean's. He will will pay you a lot of money. Tom Benson has proved that. I will pay a lot of money for a high-end, respected coach to come in and run the defense. And he can have the keys to the car. Now, granted, after what happened to Grant, Greg Williams, they're probably keeping a closer eye on that stuff. But he can have the keys to the car on defense. You you run your thing. You do your thing. I won't bother you. I'm just going to focus on offense. 
I'll give you the number one offense in the league. You just give me something decent. Um, so I, I think that's the model um, for the Saints. And um, so I'm less concerned about that because if Spagnuolo leaves, I feel like they could hire Lovey Smith. Or, they, you know, I mean, maybe Lovey Smith gets a head coaching job, but they could get a high guy like that, a high-profile yeah. defensive coach. Uh, I'm more worried about um, Carmichael getting fired and then Sean Payton having a – or, sorry, Carmichael getting another job somewhere – Sean Payton having a list of three, four guys he likes. He can't contact them. The Saints, presumably, he can't have contact with Payton. Um, these guys all end up getting hired somewhere else. And um, you know, you've got five, six solid coaches that would have killed to, to coach with Sean Payton. And instead, he you know, he ends up hiring some guy that's six down on his list. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that would be a disaster. You know, and, and I mean, it, it, it could affect things for 2013 it absolutely could so um you know i I really am a firm believer that um when a team has success you know everything has to line up perfectly um you know and everything from the coaches to the equipment managers to the you know they 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 all play a part you know and and if, if if something's dysfunctional um you know you hope that you've got enough solid pieces in place around it to absorb that dysfunctionality but um, you know, in some ways, they almost have to work perfectly in unison for a team to win a Super Bowl. You know, you have to get lucky. So, um, certainly, I, I think to start the season with something like that um, would put the Saints behind the eight ball for minute one. So, um, look, I have no idea how it's going to play out, but, but but your point is a good one, and it makes me nervous. Um, and I think as Saints fans, we, we got to hope that Hayden gets reinstated sooner. Yeah, because I mean, and and it's 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 unfair to it's unfair to Peyton, and it's unfair to the assistants too, because they're under contract. And you know, Sean Peyton always has a, a, a sort of philosophy: Hey, I will not, I will let you leave if you are moving up the chain. You know, if you're going to go from position coach to a coordinator or a coordinator where you can call your own plays, I'm not going to hold you back. Um, but you know. You also you'd feel bad for the Saints assistant coaches if Loomis is like, look, Sean Payton's on suspension. Um, I know they want to talk to you, but tough shit. Um, you can't. You know, then you got a pissed off employee because he may say, well, I want to. I'm a linebacker coach or I'm a wide receiver coach. I want to be, you know, coordinator or whatever. Um, and you, then you get a, uh, like you say, you get pissed off employees, which you got to have everything line up to to win a Super Bowl. So it it, it it's a it's a it's a thing that that to me I didn't really think about it until I read I I apologize I forget where I, who who it was like nola.com or somewhere you know it was a is a big issue and also specifically about Carmichael Andrew I think that after Sean Payton broke his leg in in 2011 he let Carmichael call the plays and Sean Payton never took it back over and I think Sean Payton even admitted it it was a big factor in the success because Sean Payton he relinquished the play calling duty and it gave him an opportunity to see the game a different way and not be focused so much on calling plays and more of an overall picture. And I think if Carmichael leaves, Sean Payton is taking back the play calling duties because he, there's not going to be anybody that he's going to bring in or hire from bring in from outside or elevate that he has as much trust as Carmichael. And I don't necessarily think not that it's a bad thing that Sean Payton's called plays because look, they won a Super Bowl with him doing it. But you know, it was really something special in 2011. So that's that's an issue. 
specific to Carmichael if he leaves, Sean Payton's going to be taking more of a burden on the offense. That's a good point, and, you know, you think about it in terms of Payton, uh, he probably wants to have a bigger picture view of the Saints after Bounty Gate. You know, I think he let a lot fly, and he, he let a lot happen uh, under his watch, under under his direction, uh, without paying much attention. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to happen the second. That's what got him suspended, and I don't think that's going to happen the second time around. I think he wants to have um, more jurisdiction and more of a watchful eye on mm-hmm. everything going on with this football team. Um, so I, I really think from that standpoint, you know, that's a good point, and he, he wants and, and would want Carmichael back. And I agree that if he's not back, then Sean, Tate, Sean Payton's calling the plays, period. Um, but, you know, I, I think as Saints fans, we can hope for the best. I mean, you said it's not really fair to the to the assistant coaches, um, but I think we've also seen that Roger Goodell doesn't really have a regard for what's there. And yeah. he, he has uh, his axe to grind with the Saints. Well, um, and so I, I don't think we can count on what, what's fair um, coming to fruition, you know, so I think we just got to hope for the best. But, you know, if, Spagnola leaves, if Carmichael leaves, um, it, for me, that's a major concern, especially with the Saints not having an opportunity to hire anyone um, with Sean Payton out, or they hire someone while Sean Payton's still out that Sean Payton may not be happy with. I think that in that scenario, Andrew, I don't, I wouldn't see him doing that. I would just, I would just think that they would either petition the commissioner and be like, come on, dude. Or they'd wait for Peyton to get back. I, I can't see them yeah, hiring. I mean, um, I can't see them. I mean, who knows? Make... That's the thing about all this. It's unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, we have no idea how, how this is going to play out because this has literally never happened. It's unheard of. Well, and also, as a Saints fan, the, the guy to keep an eye on as a higher – that could really affect the Saints coaching staff is Doug Marone from Syracuse. He's getting interviews with, I think, Buffalo and Cleveland, and he was a Saints offensive line coach and did a really, really good job. He was pre-Cromer, and he went to Syracuse um, after the 08 year. Um, Now, Andrew, it's beyond me how Doug Marone is getting interviews for an NFL job after getting Syracuse to 6-6 in the pinstripe bowl. I don't know why that's so impressive, but I guess there's a reason why Buffalo and Cleveland have have stunk for the better part of a decade. Uh, <laughs> well, I think but if he gets hired for offensive coordinator, if, if Carmichael uh, left, exactly, exactly, and because he is a direct descendant of the Peyton tree, he's going to come looking for guys. He'll say, "Hey, hey, Aaron, come come run my offense. Hey, so and so, come, you know, you're a position coach, come run my defense." I think that's that's a distinct possibility. So he's a guy as a Saints fan. Um, if he gets hired, then I think there's definitely a potential for for for, for shuffles on the Saints staff. Um, yeah, I do. I do think Carmichael's back though. I don't want to freak everyone out too bad. No, no. I mean, I think. Keith Carmichael is coming back. If I had to guess. Okay. Um, so let's let's end this podcast. The, the sort of the 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 2012 season. Besides this, you know, obviously Bounty Gate. You're gonna remember. It, you're gonna be like Sean Payton got suspended. But what else are you gonna remember? For, what is else is gonna stick out in your mind? For me, 
the one thing that's going to stick out is Vilma's interception against Carolina. Even though they lost, it was a great moment and sort of a F you to Roger Goodell uh, because, you know, for all intents and purposes, Vilma shouldn't have been playing. So I'll remember that. And I'll also remember, to me, Andrew, I'll remember the first interception against San Francisco. Because to me, I've said it probably a couple times already in previous episodes, that was the Saints' high point of 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 2012. They were 5-5. Five and five, The Dome was rocking. They had just intercepted. They were going in for another score to get to 6-5 and five maybe and beat the team that everybody thought at the time was the best team in the NFC. Drew Brees threw the pick six. It went downhill and never really recovered from it. Those are sort of the two on-field moments that will stick with me about this year. Yeah, I mean, are you saying mostly from a positive standpoint? No, negative. I mean, you know, the Vilma Vilma was positive, and the interception against San Francisco of Drew Brees, the pick six, obviously was not positive. It was really negative. Yeah. I mean, well, so, I, okay. Well, I've got two moments for you that are positive and negative. Um, so the positive moment for me that that, that I'll keep, take from the season is, um, you know, even though the Saints ended seven and nine and um, you know, there were obviously a lot of reasons for um, for that demise. Um, the, the positive moment for me of the year was handing Atlanta their first loss, um, you know, when they were winning every which way and just finding ways to win. And uh, despite the fact that the Saints were somewhat outplayed, um, they found a way to win. They, ba- they basically pulled in Atlanta on Atlanta uh, in the Superdome, and, and the Saints were down, and the Falcons were – uh, undefeated and playing great, and and for them to end their perfect season um, against a bitter rival, and in the process, kind of vault themselves back in the discussion um, for the playoffs was was a really special moment. So, for me, beating Atlanta was was the on-field moment of the season, um, with with uh, honorable mention as a Vilma pick six, which it's really too bad the Saints lost that game because if they won, I think that that play makes becomes even more special. Um, but it's mired somewhat by the worst defense in the NFL having the worst performance of their season um, on, on that uh, on that Sunday. But um, the negative for me um, also is against Atlanta, um, and it was losing um, losing to them in Atlanta, uh, more specifically Breeze's five interceptions. So that's that's kind of the and moment the touchdown record out to me. Yeah, the touch, losing the touchdown record and, um, we're not losing it, but just ending, ending the record where it, where it stands now and, um, and throwing five picks against our bitter rivals. And I mean, it was just an utter embarrassment and, and kind of, a, a the shocking moment of the season where it's just like, how did this happen? Why, you know, what, what, what happened to Drew Brees for him to have the worst game of his professional career? Um, so I, those two moments for me on on field are, are what I take away. Yeah, and I mean it just as I said in my column, uh, I'm glad 2000 the 2000 Saints season is over, and uh, we will not remember you fondly. You know, it's just it, it's one of those it, it's one of those seasons where because of everything, they're just I personally I don't know how you feel the the excitement. And the oh my god, it's August and this is awesome. It's football. Like the last, you know, ever since Drew Brees and Sean Payton have gotten here, every year it's been like 
fuck yeah, it's August, it's football, it's Saints. We're thinking, you know, we're we're maybe we won't win the Super Bowl, but we're going to be in it. We're going to be playoff contention. It's going to be fun and it's going to be awesome. This year, I would say my excitement level, Andrew, was maybe half of what it's been the previous six. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, so much of that has to do with not having your coach, and I mean, it's kind of a circus comedy, you know, it's just like, Vitt's out, and he's our head coach, so now it's Cromer, okay, I mean, we were literally joking that Rita would get a game in as head coach um, <laughs> in our podcast at the beginning of the season, so. Oh, I forgot about um, that. Yeah, but um no, I, it's good to have it in the rearview mirror. It was exhausting, I think, for us as bloggers. That's and, a good word. As fans. I mean, it was just it was an exhausting season, just starting 0-4 and, and basically being feeling like the season was dead to rights before it even started, um, getting a little false optimism with them getting the 5-5, five and five, um, and then just getting really just dump trucked by some teams down the stretch, um, especially Denver and, and the Giants and and, uh, you know, having some really horrible second halves against um, San Fran and Atlanta um, that kind of kissed the season goodbye. And then a little mini run there at the end to make it exciting again. But uh, ultimately, it's just, it's just it, it, it was exhausting. And, uh, you know, you throw Breeze's contract situation in the mix in the offseason on top of that. Um, and, Look, whatever happens this offseason, um, I just feel like it's it, it, it's it's going to be nice to have less to write about as a blogger, and it's going to be nice to be able to take a deep breath and just um, enjoy less being in the news less. It's going to be all draft all the time for anybody. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that. That's exactly right. It's going to be all draft all the time, and you're going to be fine with it, and you're going to love it. So, <laughs> Andrew um, – you know, it's the end of the season, so the the podcast will be less frequent. But you're going to be joining us, and we're going to be we're going to be doing draft shit out the wazoo. Me and Andrew met up. We were talking about our plans. We got some cool cool stuff going. Go to Saints Nation, get your fix. Because um, you know what, it seems like it's a long way off, but you know what, it'll be March before you know it, and April, and it'll be draft time, and. My friend, we'll be breaking down defensive ends from Louisiana Tech, and it'll be glorious. Oh well, my my blog goes all season long. You know, yeah. the Saints may only be from you know August to to well this year December really, but you know, usually August to February is, is our window. Um, but my blog runs you know year round. So exactly, um, we're we're, we're going to keep talking Saints. We're going to keep defining stuff to discuss. Um, you know, even if it's raising my two year old. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're talking about Ralph's drinking problems. You know, we'll, it is, we'll think it is of a serious things. problem. <laughs> we'll think of some things to bring up. So, um, no, 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 no doubt, man. And, and uh, this is our passion. This is what we love. And so yep. It's nice that the season's over, but uh, you know, I'm already starting to think about next year and, and that 15th pick and what they're going to do with the offseason. So, there's reason for optimism. You know, optimism. They still have, they still have uh, good reason. Sean Payton's coming back. Exactly. So happy new year, my friend. And to all the people out there, be well and be safe. And thank God 2012 is over. Amen. Happy new year. Thanks, Rob.